Hello, baseball fans, and welcome to Sully Baseball Daily, the podcast we talk about baseball 365 days a year, unless it's a leap year, and then we're going to do another one. I've been doing this every single day since October 24th, 2012, and today it is Monday, the 27th day of June, 2016, and I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording this on the corner of Harry Gannis Way and Braves Field Way in front of Nickerson Field, the home of the Boston University Terriers football team, soccer team, and a bunch of other things. It's funny, for the podcast that I posted on Saturday, I was going to do this podcast that I'm going to say right now, and I was going to just say well, a couple of little things about the games that went on, and I was going to talk about some stuff, and and I had a few thoughts, and I kind of, when I wrote my little notes down, I said, you know, notes for a podcast, and, you know, talk for two or three minutes about this before the main part. And, being who I am, I did not bring up the Red Sox come-from-behind victory against the Rangers, the four runs that they scored in the ninth against the Rangers. Um, the reason I didn't? because I wanted to talk about the Rangers in a positive way, and even though I'm standing here in Boston, I didn't want to get the, oh, you always talk about the Red Sox all the time. I was in Boston talking about the Rangers, not talking about the fact that the Rangers wet the bed against the Red Sox. Ah, no one will give me credit for that. Um, But, you know, obviously I'm here in Boston as my sentimental trip continues. And you can't do anything about Boston, think about Boston, visit Boston, come to Boston without thinking about Fenway Park. It's part of the landscape to the point where you know, it, beca- it becomes a joke if you're in, doing a movie about Boston. I, can, I can't think of one that doesn't have at least some reference to Fenway Park. I think they did in Mystic River, too. You know, I was trying to think of, like, is there a Boston film that doesn't have an aerial of Fenway Park, that doesn't have a scene that takes place in Fenway Park? Spotlight, Feel the Dreams, uh, a Fever Pitch, uh, Goodwill Hunting. You know, the town had the freaking, they robbed Fenway Park. You know, it is such a, it's such a part of what you think about this town and what baseball means to this town and what the Red Sox mean to this town. And I'm a diehard Red Sox fan. I haven't lived in Massachusetts since 1987, but I, I've never wavered in my love of the Red Sox. And you know, when I came up here, it, one of the things I was going to do, I dragged my poor kids to Fenway Park, drive them in there, boom. Well, it's going to be part of a podcast you'll hear later on this week. And, and the fact that in so many ways, the epicenter of what Boston is for outside what they think about from outsiders, but also what it means for people here is Fenway Park and the Red Sox. And the fact that even the freaking Sitco sign, a sign for a gas company, has become a landmark because you it is associated with Fenway Park. All of these things, all these elements, the team, the stadium, what it means. Now I've been standing here on the corner of Harry, in front of uh, uh, Nickerson Field and Harry Gannis Way, on the campus of Boston University, one of the many fine colleges here in the city of Boston. People are walking to and fro around Nickerson Field. And I'm looking at it, 
And I'm thinking, this was an epicenter too. This was, at one point, not Nickerson Field. At one point, this was Braves Field. This is where the Braves played. This was the home of the Boston Braves. Before they became the Atlanta Braves, before they became the Milwaukee Braves, they were here. This was their home. And you think about some great players called this place home. Warren Spahn called this place home. This was the home, the opening year. This was the home of the great, the, the amazing victory of the 1914 Braves where they were in dead last place in August, came back, won the pennant, and swept the Philadelphia A's. Now, granted, they played the World Series in Fenway Park because of some problems with the stadium, but the next year the Red Sox played the World Series here because of the gate. This was not only the home of the Boston Braves, but it was considered to be what it was built one of the most beautiful ballparks in the country, here. And the Braves left, and this was transformed into a football stadium. They knocked down the majority of what was Braves Field and maintained it as a football field for BU and other things too. It looks like they're playing soccer there now. Now, some parts of the old stadium still exist. The old box office and offices are now a children's center and a university police station that I'm looking at right now. People are walking back and forth in front of it. Some wearing Red Sox caps. They didn't even look at it. There's, I mean, the, the clue that there was, there's no, I didn't find a plaque. I walked around. I couldn't find a plaque. The, the clue that it existed here is Harry Gannis Way and Braves Field Way is the intersection in front of it. So, okay, that's what Braves Field was. By the way, in case you're wondering, Harry Gannis was a, uh, a player for the Boston University player who later played for the Red Sox and died um, pretty young and was really shocking when he died. But this was the brainchild of the owner of the Braves. And James Gaffney. There's a Gaffney Street. That's one of the things, when you go around and you see street names, sometimes it's good to find out who the hell the name was. Gaffney Street, named after the man who brought the Braves and, does, and helped put together the team and the stadium that, that existed here for all those years. Gaffney was a, uh, the owner of the Braves who had a bit of a Tammany Hall background, which is one of those, you know, made a lot of money and not 100% sure how legit everything was. But he took over the Braves and did not like where they played. They played in the, was it, was it the, the, the South Polo, there was some, they had some name. What, what, what was their old stadium there? Oh, I have the notes here. There's a great article about this, and I have, the, as I'm using it as notes, a great article by Bob Russo, where he talked that it was the, uh, what, was, what was the name of the place there? The Walpole Street Grounds. That was the name of their stadium. I guess that was on Walpole Street. And Gaffney hated that. 
bought the team and then basically put together the plan to build a wonderful new stadium. And this was the state of the art. When they opened up the stadium, it was designed for quality visibility, good sight lines. They also avoided the idea. He was, Gaffney was not a big fan of corks in the ballpark. He would not have liked the hill in center field in Houston. He would have not liked train tracks or any of that crap. He was into having a symmetrical field. And it meant having a very big field. And a very big field for pitchers. And it was very hard to hit a home run. To hit one over the fence. And of course, this was the 1910s that this stadium was built. And that was before all the big home run hitters started to emerge. And the stadium was designed to have streetcars and trolleys come right up to the stadium. It looked at the infrastructure. It looked at how people actually went to the games and put that and accommodated that in the stadium. And they built what was a wonderful ballpark. And there was a possibility, and you know if you listen to this podcast every day, and I know I do, there was a possibility for the Braves to essentially capture the city because when the Red Sox had the dynamic 1910s where they won all those World Series in the 1910s. They won the World Series in 1912, 1915, 1916, 1918. The Braves won in 1914, but it was the Red Sox decade. But the Red Sox tore the team to the ground in the 1920s, and they were terrible. And in fact, there was a fire at Fenway Park at one point, and basically... You know, it was left unattended for a while. The Braves could have been the team to take over the the mindset of the city, but unfortunately, for the Braves at least, the Red Sox started spending money, the Red Sox started being good. They weren't good enough to make it to the World Series, say for 1946, but they were good enough to always put together an exciting team. And the Braves started falling and tumbling and tumbling and stumbling and bumbling to the point where... Well, quite frankly, they became an afterthought in even their own city. And it was the 1953 season that they... Was it 53? Yeah, it was 53. In spring training, it was announced that the Braves were not going to play in Boston, but they were going to play in Milwaukee. Like, imagine going to spring training, you're not sure what city you're going to. And people weren't even... It was like they stunned... Baseball said, no, we're going there. And they got record crowds in Milwaukee. And it just seemed like it was the right thing to do for the franchise to get the hell out of Boston. Leave Boston to the Red Sox. Which seems so natural now. And now this is a football field. And Fenway has been refurbished. And all the money has been put into it. And, and, and this has been rebuilt. And that is rebuilt to give it that old-time feel. But this could have been the old-time feel. If the cards have been played right, this could have been the place that people look to with reverence, that Will Hunting would have remembered, that would have been the place that they stole from in the, in the town. This would be the place that would be looked upon as the sacred grounds of all of Boston and all of the Boston sports. 
There would be precedent for that, too. Remember, the Phillies used to play in the Baker Bowl, and the A's played in Scheib Park and later called Connie Mack Stadium. Well, eventually, the Phillies moved into Connie Mack Stadium. And then when the A's left town, it became the home of the Phillies. You know, you've seen teams shift around sometimes and figure out where they're going to play. You know, they, the Yankees played in the polo grounds and they played in Shea Stadium at one point. You know, this could have been that spot. This could have been the place where Red Sox, well, not Red Sox, but baseball fans in Boston remember the great memories. And Fenway Park would have been that, you know, that cranky little place. And oh, yeah, with that weird wall and everything. Imagine if the Red Sox had moved in to Braves Field when they left because of capacity or because of the ability to build on that capacity. Don't believe the rewritten history about the Yawkeys wanting to, oh, I could never have played in another ballpark. I love the ballpark. I love the Fenway Park and everything like that. He spent years, the Yawkey family spent years trying to get the Red Sox into a new stadium, threatening to move the team to Houston or somewhere else, constantly trying to see if they can get an all-purpose weather dome stadium to share with the Patriots, until finally 1967 happened and people started coming to Fenway again. But Fenway was empty for a long time. It was a joke. It was an eyesore. It was not a place you went to. This could have been it. And people walk past it. People walk past Gaffney Road. People walk past Harry Gannis. People walk past... I guarantee you there's a diehard baseball fan who goes to Boston University who has walked past this place and not known what the hell it is. The Braves have virtually no presence here whatsoever. And by here, I don't mean just Nickerson Field. I'm talking about the city of Boston. You know, if you use the rule of seven, the Braves left here in 1953. That means anyone who is 70 years old or younger have no memory, no real memory of there being two teams in Boston. If you're 70 years or younger, you think, oh, the, what, there was to the Braves in Boston? What the hell are you talking about? Or maybe you understand intellectually. But the idea of the centerpiece of the city, the centerpiece of baseball fandom, the centerpiece of the summer, the, the, the backdrop of the summer being anything other than Fenway Park is lost on you. And this has been the home of the BU Terriers. You know what it was? It was also for a while, I don't know if you remember this, you know, with, with Donald Trump uh, and running for president and everything like that, there's been a little bit of, uh, I don't want to say resurgence, but there's been more uh, mentioning of him being a USFL owner and the Boston Breakers who played here for one season. That, the, the, the USFL, I guess, could not play in Foxborough. Maybe they want to play in Foxborough. They want to have a team in Boston. And the one place they could play was here. And then the, the strange thing is that people are complaining, oh, it's not a big enough stadium. It's not a big enough stadium for a USFL team. Yeah, it is. 
Yeah, it is. Most most high school parks were big enough for the USFL. But that was like the last gasp of this as being a place of major league sports and as if the USFL was major league. This is the home of the Braves. The 1948 World Series was clinched here. I talked the other day about the Indians and my... You know, my desire to see them win the World Series. Well, guess what? This is where they won the World Series. They won it here. They beat the Braves. It was right here at Nickerson Field. And it brings me to the idea of when things are old and survive, we have great reverence for Wrigley Field. We have a great reverence for Fenway Park because they survived. And you look at pictures of Scheib Park and um, you look at what was, um, you know, in Pittsburgh, in St. Louis, Sportsman Park in Pittsburgh, Forbes Field in Pittsburgh, you know, some of the classic stadiums. And if they weren't torn down in the rush of building, you know, cookie-cutter parks and everything like that, we might be speaking of great reverence about that, and Fenway Park would have been a vague memory. Fenway Park is revered because it lived. Wrigley Field is revered because it lived. It's there to remind us of the, the connections to the past. But if another park had lived, it would be just as beloved as Fenway Park. If Braves Field had survived, this would be the place of summer, and this would be beloved. This would be one of the hallowed spots. There would be people traveling from all across the world just to come to where I'm standing right now, and I'm looking at two players with lacrosse sticks just having a conversation. Earlier this week, I was at Fenway Park where it was Mardi Gras around the stadium, and people traveling from all over. I talked to a bunch of people who were, who were Chicago White Sox fans who were there to see the game. And they were, said, yeah, I wanted to make the pilgrimage to here. They used the term pilgrimage for a team that at one point was called the Pilgrims. Could have been here. Here, I just parked the car right in front of it. Cross players having a conversation. Girl over there is texting. There's a children's center and the, the police center. So some kids are, are going up and down on the little slide thing and a bunch of police officers are going to break up a drunken party at BU. Where? At the place where World Series were played, Hall of Famers called home, and would have been the identity of Boston. Except it's not. It's Nickerson Field. Now what I do like about this is there's still cheering going on on these stands. Where the stands exist is basically where the stands were for the Braves. So while the cheers are not for a World Series game, part of me is happy when people are cheering at a Boston University Terrier lacrosse game or soccer game or whatever. Because this spot isn't now a you know, parking garage or a, you know, a Starbucks or, you know, a factory or something. It's a place where people come and cheer. It's still a place where, well, may not be an epicenter, but there are people applauding 
the wonderful game that's being played in front of them. But man, what it could have been. What it could have been. As a car is going right past me. Go to sullybaseball.com. Check the up-to-date listings of Who Owns Baseball at MLBReports.com. Like me on Facebook, so I have iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher, Instagram. I'm everywhere. The music is by Ted Thacker and Patrick Kaliski. From in front of what would have been the center of all of Boston, but now is a place to see a Terriers game. This has been the Sully Baseball Daily Podcast, and I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully.